0: Welcome to Beyond the Rock Podcast. My name is Emily Hernandez, and I'm here with my co-host,
1: Jeremy Ernst.
0: And today we have the honor and privilege of Ms. Katie Lambert joining us.
1: How are you doing today, Katie?
0: Pretty good. Thanks for having me.
1: How's the pandemic been treating you?
2: Oh, yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, I, you know, not not bad, honestly, um, but we are some of the fortunate, right?
1: Yep for sure. Have you gotten the chance to get out and go climbing or?
2: Yeah. So when it started, um, I had actually just arrived in the red river gorge um, and I'd planned on being there for about six weeks. And then about four or five days later, uh, the shelter and place orders were issued. And I called my husband kind of like, what should I do? Should I turn around and drive back across the country? And I was with friends and it was like a good location. We were able to climb at some areas and so he was like, you know, you should just ride it out there and just see what happens. Let's just keep playing it by ear. So I did get to climb quite a bit when it first started and then I've been home a little over a month now and have been getting out here too. And you're tuning in from
0: Bishop? That's right, Bishop, California. Right on. Yeah. Lindsey Ham is now out there permanently in an actual brick and mortar home. That's right. <laughs> and uh, you two are friends. Am I right? We are friends.
2: Yep. Uh, we met a few years ago, actually. Yeah. How did you two meet? It was at, I believe it was the first women's climbing festival um, that Flash Foxy put on here. And we were both working the event. Um and she came up to me because she's also a pretty short individual, and she wanted to see, compare our wingspans. Um, that was like the, fir- the first conversation, or the first words we exchanged was, let me see your wingspan.
0: <laughs> that somehow doesn't surprise me. And now that we're on the topic, what is your wingspan?
2: Um, I'm five feet tall, and it's, uh, it's a 5'2 wingspan. All right.
0: So in regards to beta, how do you typically approach, I guess some people would say tall person beta? Um, You know,
2: yeah, it's been, it's been hard. It's usually always a bit different for me. Like, let's just call it the standard beta, right? Like the standard beta typically doesn't work. And so through a lot of like frustration with not being able to do it comes a lot of patience and trying to figure out how I can do it um, has resulted in like finding a way kind of like, yeah, where there's a will, there's
0: usually always a way. Sure. I dig it. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I noticed that you are sponsored by Eddie Bauer, Mm -hmm. which they are an awesome brand. May I ask how you got on with them? Did they find you or did you find them? Um, yeah, that's an interesting story. It
2: started back in 2012 and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mason Earl. Yes. Um, The legendary Mason (laughs) was already signed on with Eddie Bauer. He had put together a proposal for an expedition to the Yukon. Okay. And he asked my husband Ben to go as a photographer and Mason had a climbing partner, but Ben needed someone to also climb with but also help with all of the rigging and so Ben asked if I could join and so the four of us went and we had a really successful trip when we came back you know we like delivered them all of the goods and everything and uh, they were looking to bring on a female climber and so they asked if I would join so it's kind of like being in the right place at the right time I guess yeah for sure yeah
1: so last night I watched a uh, pretty strong three times. <laughs> okay. okay. So, um, I said, okay, I have a dumb question as a person who's, I'm a boulder, uh, occasionally single pitch climb. So when you're on a, I guess, a big wall, first of all, what's your definition of big wall climbing?
2: I guess it's anything that you're gonna, well, I don't know. I was going to say anything that you're going to sleep on, but I mean, A lot of people are doing big wall climbs in a day. So I guess that doesn't really constitute that. So I I guess I would call it like a grade six climb is a big wall climb where it it was put up over multiple days. Um, You probably will have to sleep on it. But if you're like of the upper end echelon, like maybe you could do it in a
1: day. Okay, cool. So when you're out there and you have to sleep in a portal edge and you're going up and climbing pitches and then wrapping back down to the portal edge and then you top out once you top out do you have to wrap back down and get all your stuff
2: yeah exactly
1: I'll stick to bouldering <laughs> <laughs> okay I was just curious because movies never show you that part of it
2: yeah you don't get like all of the information like you don't get how we got all of that stuff up there like no. there's maybe one clip of a little bit of falling but you know you have to bring all of that up and then you have to this- it up and yeah then retreating like we topped out in the dark the day that we did top out and then we came back down um and it took several hours to get back down to the portal edge we spent the night and then the next morning we just started packing up and had to take all of that stuff with us and it's really heavy you know it's really heavy yeah. and it's on you like you don't have it attached to anything else you physically have it attached to you um so you have the haul bags on the portal edge and the all of the gear and whatever water you might have for the day. Yeah. It's, it's quite toilsome.
1: So when you, when you carry it out after you've topped out, you don't haul it, you, you actually carry it on your person or you just.
2: Yeah. Because when we topped out, we weren't hauling everything up with us. We had left it all down there. So when we come back down, we have to pack it all up, but we're going to retreat. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down.
1: Oh, I, I see what you're saying.
2: Yeah. And so you can't really lower it. There's no real way to lower it because there's no one, there's nothing to anchor it to when you get down there and it could get stuck. And yeah.
1: I wish they would make a movie about that. That's the more, it's, to me, it's almost the most more interesting part of the whole situation.
2: Yeah. Especially cause it's like, it's like the unseen part. And I had similar questions. Like when I started climbing multi-pitch, one of the things I just did not understand is like, how do you have enough gear? I I just couldn't, I could not put it together. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good idea for a movie. (laughs) It's
1: like, every time I watch Dawn Wall, I'm like, someone explain to me the logistics of everything that's going on here. Cause there are times when they have like a rope, like when they're doing that traverse, they have sometimes like Kevin has it, like a rope that looks like he could shimmy across. Sometimes he falls, I'm like, okay, he's falling. He's hanging on a traverse. Like, how do you get out of that situation? Right. yeah, so like I said, I'm mainly Boulder. So I don't even, (laughs) I don't even sport climb. That's cool.
0: Katie, I just, I just, I'm gonna hop in. I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm a newer fan and we brought uh, Pretty Strong to Austin. And I recall that you lived here for a little bit. That's right. You had good things to say about our crags. I really liked it. Can you just talk to our audience? Because obviously we are based in Austin and yes, we are doing this virtually but Texas gets a bad rap sometimes. And what, what would you say is different about our crags? Humorous.
2: <laughs> well, okay, for one, there's climbing, like, right in the city, which is amazing. Like, that's really rare from bouldering to sport climbing. Like, you don't find that many places. Um, and Austin is a pretty big city, right? So you get all of the culture of a city, but then you also get to, like, go out and do this outdoor thing, like, within city limits. And then not that far outside of city limits, you have some really nice limestone sport climbing um, and some really good granite climbing, too. So you kind of have a little bit of everything, even though it's on the shorter side. Um, I think it's a it's a nice place. Like if someone's looking for the city life, but they also want to be able to climb, I think it's a great place for that. Well, thank you. That's
0: what I would agree. And you put that as you typically do in your interviews as well as in your articles just so well put. Oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> but for everybody out there, traffic in Austin sucks, so don't move here, please.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is true. I do remember that.
0: I was I was looking at, you know, some information about you and I and I saw a masters of nutrition out of curiosity, in regards to, you know, not just being a human, but being a climber, how does one choose what diet or eating style is is best for them? And does, does the weather have anything to do with that? Like if you live in a super humid place, should you be eating, you know, more of something? Or could you just talk to us about that?
2: That's an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that.
0: I'm a a chef also. (laughs) So I'm a little bit nerdy and I'm trying to up my climbing game. So slightly selfish.
2: (laughs) I mean, right. Everyone is different, right? You call that your bio-individuality. So there isn't just like one prescription that you could like prescribe for everyone for a diet. In general, focusing on real and whole foods is always best. Um, Even when it comes down to like sports performance, instead of Having like bars and goose and stuff like if you could actually have real food like instead of goose go for dates things like that all right I am NOT a vegan or vegetarian I eat animal meats um, animal products I am of the education and of the opinion that that is the, the, the best way for people to eat that is how we've evolved eating As far as, like, the heat and humidity are concerned, I would say, like, if you live in a hot area, don't eat foods that are going to make you hotter. So, like, which might, which it could be hard, especially in a place like Texas, I would say, like, don't eat the hot peppers, like, don't eat the hot salsa, like, when it's 90 (laughs) to 100 degrees outside, because it's not actually doing, like, beneficial things for your system if you're getting that much more excess heat. Okay. For the humidity, I know for me, I'm, I grew up in Louisiana and I always had like phlegm or like post nasal drip there. And I always thought it was because of like the mold and the pollution. And I'm sure all of those things play into that. But then there's also like foods that can make you more mucousy. And it might be different for everyone. For me, it's actually um, tomatoes. Tomatoes are like terrible for me, not necessarily here, like in the high desert, but back home, like, I just can't deal with that food in the humid area. It's really, it's interesting. Um, So I don't know, I guess maybe like a short answer is pay attention to what you're eating and how it's making you feel both like emotionally and physically. And if you're noticing things, let's say like you're eating banana and you're getting a stomach ache and you're like, huh, maybe, maybe it's the banana. Maybe I should take that out. Sure. Take it out for like a couple of weeks and see how you feel, you know, and then you could reintroduce it. And if you have that stomach ache again, well, then, you know, like, hey, I shouldn't be eating that banana. Got it. There are other like funny little nerdy self-tests you could do. One of them's called the Coca Pulse Test. Have you heard of this? No, please tell me about it. So you, you basically start off by taking your baseline pulse for a full minute, write it down. All right. So you establish your baseline and then you take whatever the food or the substances you want to test and you put it in your mouth for 30 seconds and then take your pulse with that food in your mouth for another full minute. And if there's a change in your pulse of six points or higher, you have a sensitivity to that substance. Oh, wow. It's not like the most scientific test, but it is something kind of easy that you could do. Sure.
0: Yeah. An excuse that that can't be made. At least it's a beginning, right? Right, totally. (laughs) So the last thing I'm going to ask about this is, you know, you mentioned for the banana example, you know, taking it away, seeing how your body reacts for a couple of weeks and then reintegrating it. Do you think that you should do a whole like master reset where you do a radical change and take out, you know, a slew of foods that you may think are bothering you and then slowly reincorporate them after a few weeks. I don't know if you've heard of the whole 30 program. I have. I they have somewhat of like a, I guess like a, a timeline or recommendation of that with their program. So I was just curious if, if you think that that's a good idea.
2: I mean, I, I don't think there's harm in that. If there are like a group of foods or like a whole list of foods that you're like, these things I am suspicious of, there is absolutely no harm in taking those out of your diet. For a said period of time and then slowly reintroducing them where it can get tricky is if you introduce them all together or introduce them too fast and you just don't know because there's too many variables for you to decipher what's happening. Sure. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Do you train for climbing or you just climb?
2: I do train for climbing. I didn't always. I'd say over the last 10 years, I think I kind of reached a plateau and had had enough experience with just climbing that I was like, okay, like if I really want to get better, if I want to go after these like higher end goals that I have, I am going to have to train.
1: Cool. And could you give an example of what you do?
2: Um, I guess it depends on like what the objective is. So like for the Red River Gorge, I had an objective um, that was basically like, very long sustained power endurance and in California like our climbing's typically definitely not as steep it's a bit more vertical it's really crimpy it's usually like boulder problem to a rest to boulder problem to a rest and so for me to train that kind of power endurance I would go into the bouldering gym and I would do like these pyramids of boulder problems so like from let's say V5 being kind of like where I was starting the pyramid to V9 being the highest of the pyramid and then back down to V5. And I would do six of each of those grades with like restricting rest in between. So that you're not actually you start to gain this like really extreme pump, but you're able to still climb through it. That was like one thing. Always the hangboard, I think the hangboard's always incorporated into my training. Um Cause as we know, like fingers are definitely our weakest link. So stuff on the hang board, like repeaters or max hangs, things like that. I always throw in some cardio in there. And then I always have uh weights, weightlifting, like from deadlifting, bench pressing, overhead press. And to be honest, starting the deadlift, I think I started deadlifting um, in 2016 and I have seen probably the most benefit from deadlifting out of everything.
1: Oh, that's cool. So is it more, is it just more objective-based or do you, do you, when you're at home and not on a trip or, or do you um just train every day or every other day? No,
2: definitely not. Like right now I, I'm not training at all. I don't, I kind of, it'll go through waves of like, okay, this, this season I have this goal. So do I need to train for this goal and what do I need to do? And so I'll usually do maybe like a six week training plan, six to eight week training plan, like for that goal. And then, do the goal and then kind of just have a period of rest and then a period of just climbing until there's something else that I'm like, okay, I really need to like up my game for that.
1: Very cool.
0: Well, speaking of objectives, I, uh, I, am curious whenever you approach, let's just say a, a big wall climber, you see a route that inspires you or, um, which I'm sure you've, you've often seen or read about, and you start climbing up loose rock and you are getting to sketchy anchors or you're rappelling down and you're begging your partner who I've, I've seen many times is, is your life partner, Ben, you know, not to move an old piton that <laughs> looks sketchy. I've been only on one epic and it was not by choice. It was in an area called Mendoza Canyon um, in Arizona. And I just am curious as to what goes through your head Uh, your body when you're in that position and how do you keep it together? And have you ever had that moment of, well, shit, this could be it. It's stressful. Um, I recently,
2: my latest article in climbing magazine is about um, this trip that Ben and I did last summer. And it was probably some of the worst rock that we've encountered together for such a sustained period of time. Um, and it was really, it was really stressful. And I realized that it was even more stressful with him. Like you never want anything to happen to your partner, regardless of who they are. But when it's your life partner, it's like, wow, this is like everything right here. This is really serious. And like, we cannot fuck up. Yeah. And so you just have to do your best to like navigate (laughs) that terrain. And I mean, it's also interesting in those instances, when you're with your life partner and you get stressed out because out of the love and care you have for them, that's where the stress comes. But then you also find yourself snapping at them. And it's like, it's such a weird dynamic that's going on. Like you're getting upset, but it's because you're scared.
0: <laughs> sure.
2: Um, for your life of, and theirs. Right. And so you just kind of, if you are able to like pull yourself out of it and look at it kind of more objectively. Um, that's always really helpful instead of getting like super emotionally wrapped up in it because once you get really emotional with it, like it it can go downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't. There isn't like a. Re- I don't have a really good answer for that question.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't think there. <laughs> I, I think you gave a formula for handling it. Right. And I guess what I thought when I was in this situation, and I don't know if you've ever. We've never talked about death on the podcast, but just. It just, it comes up, especially now, you know, with what we're living in. Sure. Did you, have you ever thought, as I did at this point, as well as when I visited Israel and was walking through the Muslim quarter in Jerusalem, I'm Jewish, and uh, I thought, you know, this could be it, but if if it is, I'm in a place that is so special and means so much, so if I was to go, I mean... This is the way. Yeah. Or I would prefer have you
2: I mean, for sure. It's that's kind of something that we talk about quite often. I mean, Ben is really into like backcountry skiing, and to me that seems like really, really dangerous. Like you just don't know. Like anytime he goes out, like something could happen. Like it could sure. happen. Um, and I guess I kind of have peace with it because we are so fortunate in that we've lived a really good life. Like up until this point, it's been great. Like if, if I were to die today, it's okay. Like, it's all right. Um, For sure. I feel for the people I would leave behind, of course, but for me, I, and I guess there's always like a fear of it because you're scared when you're out there you're like, Oh God, I don't, I don't want it to be right now. But, Yeah, If it were to happen, you know, I mean, shit just happens.
0: (laughs) So I guess, yeah, just short, short answer kind of. Yeah. 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 What do you feel about, what do you feel about that, Jeremy? Now that we're saying it with a smile.
1: (laughs) Oh, I mean, yeah, I agree with you that there's probably no better way to go, but I, every time I make a new friend in climbing, I'm always think at some point, Oh, is this the person that I meet that's gonna, gonna die? Mm -hmm. Um, because I have some younger friends that do some sketchy stuff. <laughs> so, um, but on a similar topic, um, how do you stay vigilant about safety? I mean, you obviously you've been out there. You have thousands of reps. Like tying a figure eight knot is probably old hat to you. Whereas, like I've only probably sport climbed in the tens of times. And me and my me and the guy that I climb with, every time we do the exactly what they taught us in the gym, which is. I check his belay, he checks my knot. And there have been times when I go out with people and they're like halfway to the first bolt by the time I turn around to check their knot. And I'm like, no, this is not how I do it. But how do you, how do, so how do you stay vigilant as someone who's been climbing for a long time and have you know, a lot under your belt that way?
2: I think it goes back to what you said right at first in that you create these habits. You create good habits and you do that all the time. Um, I was just thinking about that the other day because, uh, it's like you, let's say you go out climbing and you get hit in the head with a rock. It doesn't knock you out, but you're a little bit incapacitated, but you have those good habits ingrained in you that you know what to do. So there isn't a question of like, how do I, what should I do right now? How should I clip in? How do I tie in? Like, you know it because you've been doing it year after year, day after day, every single time you've tied into that rope. Um, I think that you just, you just have to be diligent. You can't be lax about it because it's a big deal. Climbing done correctly can be 100% the safest thing. Climbing done incorrectly can be like the most catastrophic fatal thing. So there's a line that you walk and in walking that line, it's like you stick with your good habits. Yep. Sure.
1: And I think it's more important. I mean, cause we've seen some well, very experienced climbers um, die because of very simple mistakes, right? Like, and mm-hmm. so you got to be digil- diligent about that.
0: Yeah. And so I've, I've noticed we talk about climbing you know, etiquette or what's the etiquette when you're at a crag and you see something that could potentially be hazardous. And I was listening to the Enormo cast interview and you mentioned about when you first entered into Yosemite, I think you told, you taught somebody how to use a Grigri, and this uh, particular person ended up pulling you over for a certain, you know, driving infraction, and he may have had a bit of a chip on his shoulder because you were the one to inform him that he was using this incorrectly. So, you know, what what's the etiquette, and and do you think as women that men have an issue when we bring something up that is actually important and can potentially be life saving? So I guess it's a two part question.
2: Okay, so one of the like premier climbing areas here is called the Owens River gorge, and it's really it's popular especially within the like five nine to five ten range like I think that's the highest consistency of grades and so in saying that, there's a lot of beginners that go there that don't have a ton of experience, and sometimes it's pretty evident by what they're doing or what they're not doing. Um, there have been times where I'm watching them because their actions are telling me like, this could be really dangerous. Um, And so I just watch them throughout, like, I don't know, they're doing one pitch and how are they belaying each other and how are they cleaning? And if it, if it seems like what they're doing is going to be potentially dangerous, I will interject and I try to do it in the most, in the nicest non-threatening way possible. Like, Hey, Um, I noticed you guys seem to be having trouble getting off of the route like do you want some help? Or is there something that you might need and I'd say seven out of ten times people are super receptive to it And they don't have a chip on their shoulder there have been instances where like and it's typically been males That like they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want help. They knew what they were doing and they were like totally kind of just ignoring All of the people being like, hey, dude, you're gonna die. And I don't, like, you can't really do anything about that. Mm -mm. You just have to let them figure it out and hopefully no one gets hurt in the process. All of the negative interactions that I have had at climbing areas, unfortunately, okay, I won't say all of them. I'll say 99% have been with males just having, like, super bad attitude towards me, probably as a
0: female. Sure. And may I ask considering this is literally a sport where we could kill somebody or kill ourselves why do you think that the importance of safety and diligence just goes to the wind sometimes may i just i'm just so I don't curious know.
2: ego i guess like i don't think people realize it's like driving a car i don't think people realize like how serious it actually is like A car is a huge machine and you're hurtling down the road in it. And like, if you mess up, you could seriously injure yourself and, or kill yourself and other people. And I think climbing is a similar thing where like, if you're not in the reality of how serious it is, um, you could, you could really do some damage and I don't know, I guess we could call it arrogance or ego or being arrogantly naive about it, I don't know. It's part of like this weird human condition.
1: Have either of you ever been driving and just had the thought that the only thing keeping us safe is an agreement that we agree what these painted lines on, on the ground mean?
0: Oh, totally. Oh my God, we're in a lethal weapon. Yeah. And, and I think I've, comedians have even said like, the things that you say in the car, and I've been guilty of it, Would you would never say that oh, to sure. somebody you know who bumped who bumped your shoulder or right uh you know stepped on your toe on accident and yeah i mean i guess not in such a philosophical way no but now that you've mentioned it i i probably will but, but i mean
2: <laughs> no that's a good point cuz it's like i trust that i'm going to stay in the line i'm trusting that you're going to stay in the line but like <laughs> we don't have to <laughs>
0: How important are these lines,
1: really, to you? A bunch of of people agreeing that something painted on the ground, we're all going to follow. The I mean, because there's times.
0: This is why I love Jeremy. There are times
1: when you cross over a white line because you want to get off. You know, especially here in Austin, where you're you're probably sitting in traffic, and it's easier to cross over the white line to get, you know, to the off ramp or something. But all that's keeping you from doing that is is some line and, and the the fear that someone may give you a ticket for for not following those rules weird great right. um anyway <laughs> sorry I, took...
0: I, I love where this this interview has gone i mean i'm i'm so pumped about all the info that we're getting
1: <laughs> so i uh, have a question as a man who has no problem um learning from women and this kind of came up in the last interview we did but um for you what's the difference between climbing with women and climbing with men mm.
2: Um. Well, for one, it was always a very novel thing when I started climbing to be able to go out and climb with another female. Like that was just not commonplace. And so now that I'm, I've been climbing for almost 25 years, I think, uh, there's so many more women and it's like, it's such a welcome sight. And the camaraderie that I feel climbing with other women, I think is really strong. Um, of course I have a lot of male partners and I've learned a lot of things from my male partners, but there is something very special about like sharing that space and that time with another woman. Um, You're helping each other and you're inspiring in each other and it's a little bit of a competition, but not in a bad way. You're like, Oh, like my friend, Sandra, like she did that. I'm going to try to do it. You know? Yeah. It's different in that way. Whereas if I'm climbing with my friend, like a male friend or my husband Ben and even after all these years and all this experience if he does something I will still be like mm, I don't know if I can do that like he did it he's really strong he's a bit taller like I'm not sure so I, I don't know I think it climbing with women for me for sure is definitely more inspiring than climbing with male partner
1: that makes sense the majority of people I climb with are women, and a kind of part of that I enjoy about it is it's, it's very non competitive. Whereas if you get with a group of guys, it can get competitive, and I'm just not really about that life. Plus, all the yeah. women I climb with are stronger and better climbers than me. So, <laughs> and
2: like, how awesome is that? You're like, wow, look at these women, yeah. this is amazing! Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's dope, I love it.
0: Well. I mean, that's why, and I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn, but a gentleman named Bill Horton. I don't know if you ever met him when you lived in Austin. Yeah. Um, he and uh, when I posted the trailer for Pretty Strong, he reached out to me and wanted to talk to me about how to get it to Austin, and I was like just ecstatic. I I, I was so excited. Um, he's a volunteer for the Friends of Enchanted Rock, so that was the nonprofit that we, the Texas Lady Crushers, uh, were able to collaborate with. And I invited so I mean we sold out in five days without doing anything except for social media marketing. And people's jaws, I mean they were dropped they their eyes were huge after that film they they couldn't believe it. And one thing that I loved was hearing your voice at the beginning talking about your you know your stoke is endless. And you know where do you where do you find that stoke from or or how do you encourage that in others when, and I'm just going to use this example. You know, if women are used to climbing with men and they're getting on routes that are just hard and they get shut down and they think that climbing is just this like terrible thing that's, that's not always attainable. You know, how do you encourage that? That's stoke. I, you know, I,
2: for me personally, I have never, like I said, in the movie, like I have never had a problem finding that stoke. It's just in there i just love it so much it's really like all i want to be dealing with my time yeah. um but i realized like i'm a 40 year old woman like i have to be an adult i cannot just climb 100 percent of the time yeah,
0: no. um <laughs> 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 i mean you may live
2: in, but in others i i do see that like at out at the cliffs for sure i'll see uh, women who are out there with their boyfriends or their husbands and maybe they're a bit newer to climbing and together, yeah, just tagging along with the guy doing the things that he wants to do and if i can tell they're having a bad time i will try and like engage with them and, and offer like hey there's this like really nice really aesthetic line over there like you should check that out sometime or i don't know um just trying to be friendly with them and tell them that like hey you don't always have to climb with him or you don't always have to climb these things like there are these online groups where you can like find partners or if you wanted like a lesson from a guide there's like great guide services in town um and then in the clinics that i teach i do try and instill in them like especially the intro to trad clinics like don't go out there and try and climb like the 510 because you're going to be stressed out and it's not going to be fun So like start way below your limit, like go climb the five fives or the five sixes or the five sevens until you start to get really confident in your own ability. And then you can go out and start pushing it a little more. But once you enter into that, like stressful, this is hard phase, like that's a terrible place to be. I feel
1: like I should do the same thing when I see a, (laughs) a, a guy in rental shoes following around a really strong female climber in the gym. Which I think is the biggest power well, move totally. ever. Just <laughs> take your, take your date to the climbing gym when you're a super strong female climber. Crack.
0: I mean, that's crack, kind of a make or break situation right there. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: oh, so in a, in a weird question. Um, what's it like to be filmed and interviewed while you're climbing? Is it weird?
2: It's a little funny, right? Because you're, like, so in the moment. And so however you're feeling in the moment will come out. But then you try to, like, get a little perspective and, like, realize that this is going to be broadcast, like, across the world. So, like, do you really want to come off like this? Or are you fine <laughs> with that? I don't know. I, I was going to say, it always seems like someone's, like, <laughs> <in,
1: laughs> mid saying something super interesting <laughs> while they're belaying someone else. And I'm, like, yes. Yeah, Sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, sick yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Nina Williams. That's Nina Williams. Uh, Which, no.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little weird because you. I have like thought back on you know like, oh God, I said that that day. Like wow. Oh okay. We'll see if Very that's enough. in the film.
0: <laughs> Do you have any you know control or input when uh, you know films are being made? with you in them can you can you let them know i don't want that and they're like sorry you know that's that's in the flow of the the film yes
2: and no like for the most part all of the films like ben and i have made together i definitely have a lot of input and like no i don't i do not want that in there or we need to redo this with pretty strong it was a it was totally different because i had no idea what was going to be in the film um Julie Allison, the one who filmed all of uh, Father Time, kind of followed me around at all of like my local crags and at work and here at our co-work and like doing all the things I do in life for like a year and a half. Um, And I had no, like, I literally did not know what was going to be in the film. And so I, I had zero input, basically, and really did not know what the film was until I went to a showing of it in Las Vegas at the climbing gym. And I was like, you guys, I have not seen this. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> this will be interesting for us all.
1: <laughs> so you just said 18 months worth of stupid things that you said you weren't sure <laughs> going to show up and screwed up? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Hey, Katie does not say stupid things, no. <laughs> um, you know, so, okay, so they have all this footage, right? I mean, they have a copious amount of footage. From all all of you women and did they mention that they were going to use it for any spinoff, you know, thing or short videos anything No, not
2: that I know of they did put together They did send me like a short video that they put together like a little compilation of stuff Um, that's not in the film, but there is some footage of some stuff that I'm like, oh, I would actually like to have that Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that stuff will ever see the light of day or not
0: (laughs) (laughs) um I'm going to shift gears on, on that film. Uh, we had some feedback in our communities, in the women's communities, that you know they wanted to see some focus or some light shed on the things that women have experienced at the crags um, in regards to uh, safety concerns. Not talking about you know ropes or rock, talking about the people that we are with, um, you know, diversity in in our community. Do you think that it's about time for us to start shifting? into that realm, not because we feel like we have to, because of what's going on in our environment, but because it's it's just time. Well, yeah, don't we want more? I mean, I (laughs) I know I want more
2: out of the climbing film. Like I am really proud of these women for this film. They did an amazing job. It was a lot of work. And I know in the beginning, all they wanted to do was make a climbing film. Like that was it. And so fair enough, that's what they did. But I know for myself, it's becoming harder and harder for me to watch climbing films when all it is is climbing. Like, I want to know what they have to say. I want to know what their experiences are. I want to know who they are as a person. What is climbing for them? What has it brought them? What have they learned? Um, So I think it's like well past time for something different.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, you know, from my point of view, like, I've only been climbing for three years and that first maybe one or two years, all I did was consume climbing media. And then w- when you're climbing and, you know, and then eventually I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm climbing five days a week. I'm bored of like, I don't want time off to to not think about climbing. And like, yeah, like, you know,
2: boring. like, like some of the questions
1: <laughs> I've asked are the same thing. Like I want to know more about the behind the scenes of climbing, which is why Emily and I you know, wanted to do this is that it's more interesting to me like who you are and, and, other stuff that that's not the climbing part of it you know so
0: So may i ask katie on on a local level um, i'm the founder of the texas lady crushers i'm about to develop a leadership council so that we can move this organization into the correct spot and i want input from the community we're almost at a thousand members i'm an only child so i'm used to having you know and i think you are too. Yeah, that's right. So we're used to, and I'm 33, so I'm still of the generation where I didn't grow up with, you know, an iPhone or like I didn't have a TV in my room, wasn't allowed to. So I had to, you know, really figure it out for myself. You know, what, what can we start doing? Do we need more content out there, whether it's, you know, super clean and, and precise, like what can we do at the, at the grassroots ground level to be able to make this shift?
2: Um, I think it's like, I guess, tell me a little bit more. Like, are you looking for specifically like media within your community or topics to meet on or like what, what
0: exactly? Well, Jeremy and I both want to see different, I guess, let's talk about media, different forms of media out there. He's a co-founder of Thick Climbing, which I would love for him to talk to you about that Um, after I get off the mic, which I'm sure people are tired of hearing my voice. Um, But how, if if we're just not super savvy, you know, with media, should we be posting more photos? Should we just be doing, uh, you know, Instagram stories? Should we be trying to find people who can help us develop stories, write scripts, video essays? Um, More the merrier, I guess. That's not really a good explanation. I think... (laughs) sorry.
2: Well, I think that, that gives me like a little clarity for sure. Like I'm not very media savvy at all. And I, I don't really like to do it, but it's something that I, I kind of have to do. Um, I do appreciate a really good story and I love good pictures okay. um, or interesting pictures, right? Something that draws you in. So the picture attracts you and then the story really catches you. and uh, I think it's important to highlight the people in the community. Um, So like, what are they doing? What are they up to? What not only are they climbing and what their interest is in climbing, but like what is going on in their daily lives? Like that stuff's interesting because it's human stories and that's the stuff that I think we all love. Um, Podcasts, obviously like a great thing. People love podcasts. Uh, So not only like featuring Prominent, I guess, climbers in the industry, but people in the community, Um, because those are actually people that like we can relate to, right? They're just like Susie that you go climbing with. Like Susie has a story, right? And I think that's interesting. Um, And the face of climbing is changing, like, and that's important to highlight. Like, there's a lot of talk, especially right now, about that, and that's something that I think we all need to be diving into and looking at more um, because as much as we do not see the diversity being broadcast out there, it is a diverse thing. Like there there is a lot of diversity within the local communities and that really needs to be brought out. Um, Because like I say, that's something that real people on the ground can actually relate to.
0: Right. So that power of an image, and then that being a right. domino effect too, more content. All right.
2: Yeah. Neat. And just like real, real questions. Like.
0: <laughs> May I ask it? Are nobody we-
2: cares. No, we- no, I mean, yeah, these are great okay. questions. It's <laughs> like nobody cares. Like what kind of shoes you climb in? Like whatever. <laughs> Can you say that
0: again, please? <laughs>
1: On the topic of the climbing community changing uh, the makeup of the climbing community, changing, can you speak on what you what your thoughts are on changing problematic route names, whether they're cringy or racist or or you know whatever? There's just a whole bunch of.
2: Yeah, um, my husband and I were just talking about this because he's he is on the board of the Bishop Area Climbing Committee, um, or coalition. And so we were going through the guidebook looking to see, like, are there offensive names here that need to be changed? And he called up the president of the coalition to talk to him about it. And there's always this argument of like, oh, well, where do you draw the line? Like, what's offensive to someone? might not be offensive to someone else. But Ben said something that I think is really important. Like, I think you can draw a hard line on racist names and, and sexist names, especially when they start to tend into like something like a root here is called uncle bad touch. Like that's creepy. And if someone has been sexually molested in their life, like that is not okay for them and that doesn't need to be there. So I think, I think these names do need to be changed. I don't think they should have been named these things in the first place. Um, and something like the slavery role Intense 10 sleep, like sure, it wasn't supposedly named after the institution of slavery, but more in like the work that they were having to do at the wall. Well, that's fine. Whatever. Inside joke, I guess. But when you're, that's, that's being opened up to the broader community. You really need to think about how that is going to impact the broader community. And that is a very divisive, isolating name for crag. And Uh, things like that definitely need to be changed. If it's something like, there's so there's another wall or route in the Owens River Gorge called sex packets. Like, whatever. I mean, sex is sex. All humans have sex. Like, I think things like that are okay. But if it's like a derogatory, sexist, uh, molestation type of realm, it definitely needs to be changed. And for sure, like, all races, innuendos and names definitely need to be changed.
1: Yeah. So I posted a list of of problems at waco that i thought made me need changing and the feedback i got was every guy that responded to me didn't understand why i was being so whiny about these and every woman was horrified about these names and they weren't even I, honestly they by your definition i don't even think they're that like one of them is called nuns on their knees just not horrible but it could be offensive like <laughs> i look at it as, like what i want to tell my mom or my or my grandma the, that i climb nuns on their knees you know what i mean like Right. Not really.
0: Yeah, not really. But then um, someone could could be rude and say, "Well, they could be praying." They could be. Right, but, but that's. I mean, you just
2: you don't know. It's know. like the probably the first image that comes to your mind when you say that name. That's probably yeah. what they meant, right?
1: It's like the, there's a problem <laughs> sure, called of uncut course. yogi, of course. which to me sounds like uncircumcised, you know, yoga person. <laughs> but talking to one of the people out there, one of the guys out there, he explained that there there is a reason why those two words go together and. It's not that it's not that at all. It's oh no. I don't remember what his explanation was. I'm sorry. actually Yeah, I'll send it to you. I but, would um, love to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Put um, it in the show notes. <laughs> but yeah, it's just things like that. And in fact, out at Waco in the backcountry, they the guides have to use different names for the different boulders because they're not allowed to call in like the actual names of some like Donkey Show, they're not allowed to call in and some of the other ones. I'm like, why don't we just it sounds like they're all named by 14-year-old boys. Can we just
2: Right. Like, just change yeah. it.
0: Just call it the show or the donkey or whatever, yeah. you know, like, yeah. May I ask if you, if you think that that happened because it was majority men climbing and developing these routes, they were all there with their boys. And a lot of times it was a and like, who can do what and how hard you can do it. And then they name it. Yeah. Right. Not sorry guys, but that's the truth. That was a boys club.
2: It was a boys club for a long time. And they're just egging each other on. They're making crude jokes because yep. they're dudes. Like that just happens. Um, for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent.
1: Well, and I also so the story that's been told, the story that was told to me about Waco is that Sherman needed problem names, so he went, he either went to the the video store and got porn video names, or he stood outside and just took the names mm-hmm. off the uh, the porn movie theater and used those as names. So. Whether or not that's true Great. or not, I have no idea, but that's what it was told to me by two different people. So
0: very creative.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's definitely because it was just a big old boys club at the time, right? Like
0: Yeah. Um, I always have a question that I like to ask rock climbers, especially seasoned climbers, and that is what do you wish the mainstream knew about rock climbers? Or what do you think they have? Twisted because of either rock climbing films or you know, back in the 90s, dirty hippies were the only ones climbing, and then you know, the 70s. And it's like, what do you think is twisted, or or what would you like the mainstream to know about the variety of rock climbers you know that exist?
2: Well, the first thing that um comes to mind is there's a I think it's a few years old now, it's a video of Kai Leitner and he's climbing outside for the first time, (laughs) and he makes a comment like he had never climbed outside before he always thought it was a thing for dirty nasty hip, people yep. and i thought that was so
0: funny um and of his generation too <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> um but, he was at the Shima, okay. I think.
2: yeah you're right yeah um here in bishop i think is a, it's a good example of kind of like a microcosm of the population at large it's it's a ranching and farming town primarily um there's also a large native american population here and then there's a large population of people who love the outdoors and that's why they've moved here amongst the rancher type of folk here they think that climbers are dirty um that they're freeloaders that they don't have jobs and they just live in their vans and try to take advantage of the system where that might have been the case in the early 70s Climbing has changed so much now. Um, People have these nice vans because they have really good jobs. People have families. They're coming out climbing with their children. Um, They're bringing their parents or grandparents. We did a bouldering trip to Fontainebleau last year. And it was incredible because it was whole families out there climbing. I mean, from like the old grandfather who you're like, there's no way he can climb, he can hardly walk, and then he like scampers up these boulders, no problem. So like the tiny kids. Um, and so I guess it, it would be good for the mainstream to know that it is and it can be a very inclusive endeavor. Um, and it's not just people who aren't working or just freeloading off of the system. Like we're real people,
0: we have real lives. Um, yeah. And may I ask, was that the nonprofit that you have, uh, Sacred Rock? Is that the trip? Um, No, trip? this was a private trip. It was just uh, my husband and
2: I and some friends.
1: But can we agree that a lot of climbers are dirty?
2: Well, I mean, for sure. I, I mean, mean, you're in the <laughs> dirt all day long. Like you're literally sitting Oof. in the dirt. So you're going to be dirty. Yes. There are those of us who will have a lot more self care in. Clean ourselves up, and then there are some of us who just oh, like...
1: that <laughs> that's
0: such a diplomatic
2: thing
1: to, at to the say cli- that <laughs> the, odor, the odor at the climbing gym sometimes is a little, little
2: well. And okay. the, the climbing shoes, just some friends oh, just get yeah, really yeah. rank.
0: Yeah,
1: especially here in Texas, if you leave oh, your climbing yeah. shoes in the car while you're while you're at work during the day, bad yeah. move. Bad move.
0: Totally, I have to say the only. Good thing about me getting COVID back in March was when I lost my taste and smell. Yes, I did. Uh, My doctor tried to convince me it was a sinus infection, but I lost my taste and smell 100%. This was March 18th. So the stories hadn't really come out yet about that being a symptom. I lost it for about three weeks. And as a chef, that's not exactly (laughs) a good thing. I'm also a health food manufacturer, Lindsay uh has my is my ambassador for my granola bar so is jason oh, kale yeah, so I, cool yeah so i was about to pump out the blueberry ones with jason on them i was super excited and i had to tell him uh, i'm sorry I, I i can't make these like i first of all was having issues with getting ingredients in and then when i was able to get them i realized i can't trust my my senses so i had to yeah tell them pretty much exactly what i said i'm not doing um, but out of the safety of others. And so anyways, long story short. The only good thing they're back about fifty percent. but that is a good deal when you're in a rock climbing gym and have a hundred pound chocolate lab that sleeps like right next to you. And let me tell you, he's a healthy boy. I'll just leave it there. Oh <laughs> well, uh, Emily, that's a I'm so glad that you're recovered, and you're fine thank you i was fortunate cuz obviously that was in kind of a very unsta- well we're still i hate even to say it, an unstable time because we're still in one right. and we'll be for a while but um, we didn't really have the right answers as to what we should do but a-, a friend of mine was an er doctor and he was able to give me a timeline of action to be taken if things got worse so i felt very fortunate to have that but i kept that information to myself because if I went public with it, I have a platform, only about 5,200 people. I was going get, to start getting blasted with information and opinions and um, all kinds of stuff. But I was in Vegas trying to climb at uh, Red Rock. I am now 0 for 3 trying to climb out there um, mm. because mm. I felt that I could be asymptomatic. I ended up driving home and that's when I, that's when I started to feel the symptoms. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Very much so. Um, Jeremy, do you have anything else for us before we wrap things up?
1: I don't. Nope. I was trying to find the explanation of that problem name. but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, it has really been an honor to have you. I feel like I'm kind of fangirling out because you're just such an amazing representative for, you know, not just the female climbing community, but just for the climbing community period. And, Thank um, you. That means congr- a lot. I mean, it, yeah. And congratulations on your featured article on thank Climbing you. Magazine. Did you, I, you know
2: what, similar to the movie, I actually haven't seen it yet. Oh, <laughs> you haven't, wait, you really haven't seen that? I haven't seen the actual like paper copy. I have the PDF of it all, but no, I, I haven't seen it in person.
0: Sister, you're a phenomenal writer as well. Oh, thank I you. I mean, you, you really capture the experience, the history, um, so, so bravo on, on all accounts. Thanks, you, you, that was you not- You
2: should pick up. I, I'm, I intend to get a copy, it just hasn't been around. Um, and you know what, I don't even have a subscription, so I, it's a weird deal. Um, I should have like
1: said- that. I was more shocked that-
2: Go
0: ahead, Jeremy.
1: I was more shocked that they actually print magazines. Still, to
0: be honest with you. I think it's coming back in vogue now, actually. I, do, I, I you know I use older ones for my vision boards that I haven't made yet. Oh, cool. So, <laughs>
1: It's like it's like film cameras coming back, right. and you know everything old is yeah. new again. Yeah,
0: sure. So. Well, uh, at the end of our of our um, episodes, we always like to give a shout out, uh, whether it's a company, a cause, something you believe in, personal opinion. Um, do you have anything for us that you wanted to share today? Um, you brought up the
2: nonprofit that I work with. I would like to highlight that a little bit. Um, it's called Sacred Rock. Rock is spelled R-O-K. We are based out of Yosemite. Um, We are a nonprofit that works primarily with what you would call marginalized youth. Um, They're incarcerated youth. They're foster youth. They come from uh, minority communities largely. Um, And we bring them into Yosemite, into the Eastern Sierra, and then also down in uh, Pinnacles National Park, Um, mostly for them to just, experience nature for themselves uh these are a lot of youth that have really their their relationship with nature probably doesn't like exceed beyond like maybe the local city park or like the trees in their backyard Um, and as a climber myself and our executive director Ron Kalk, we kind of have a similar story and how we got into climbing and what climbing has given us and We both know that through your own personal relationship with nature, you can heal the trauma in your life. You can get to know yourself. You can come back into being a human being and finding your place in the world. Um, And I think that's something really important for all of us, not just our youth, uh, but every person alive, really. Um, And so if you guys are interested, if anyone's interested, sacredrock.org, check us out. We're in our 10th year right now. And yeah, that's about it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Since uh, we are doing a little bit of self-promo, which I'm so glad that you mentioned that organization uh, uh, and congratulations on your 10th year. Uh, Thank you. That's amazing. And it begins with the youth, definitely. Um, I'm gonna promote the Texas Lady Crushers. I've been running this group for two years. Um, We are a diverse and very inclusive group of rock climbing women and non-binary people, or those who identify as such, um, who live and travel throughout the state of Texas. So you don't even need to reside in the state of Texas. If you are traveling through and you need a partner, uh, indoor, outdoor, uh, regardless of experience, you can join the Texas Lady Crushers. You can find us on Facebook, which is where our main platform is. We are going to be developing a leadership council to help us grow in the right direction. You can also find us at TexasLadyCrushers.com and our Instagram as well. Surprise, surprise is Texas Lady Crushers. Awesome! Sounds like an awesome org. <laughs> we would love to have you and maybe a couple other uh, crushers come out and do a clinic at Enchanted Rock because yes. we are always on the limestone. But I mean, I feel Enchanted Rock has a lot of magic to it and. I would love to have you out there, and Lindsay. <laughs> yeah,
2: we should stay in touch about it. I See what so. happens with the pandemic, how it all of course plays out. But of yeah, course.
0: can we plan it maybe just for the decade at least? Sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's <laughs> bookmark that, <laughs> and I'll sanitize after, as you said.
1: <laughs> well, if we're all gonna pitch our organization, <laughs> let's do it. I might as well. I might as well talk about thick climbing, which is an organization that I co-founded with my friend Melanie. Um, we're on the verge of a name change, though. Um, it started off as it started off as kind of a joke between her and I as we climbed, and um, it was more a body positivity situation. we branched out into other things. And also the term thick is is a little bit of appropriation. and it because we've branched out it also, gives the wrong impression as to what we're, what we're trying to do. We're currently in the process of doing a campaign to provide accessible and sustainable climbing for black youth. And so that's what we're working on right awesome. now. Awesome. And you can find us currently, but well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the tech person, so I will point the domain. So if you go to thick-climbing.com, it'll take you to whatever domain we're using at that time, which I think we're, we will be renaming it. And we're, we're also in the process of becoming a 501c3, so working on all that stuff. So big things going on there.
0: Very cool. Right on. Well, thank you so much Katie and um, you know, thank you everyone for listening today. Y'all have a rocking rocking day. Thanks y'all. <laughs>